Hello and welcome to the Yankees Magazine podcast. I am Hillary Georgie. Joining me is Nathan Makaborski. Hi there. And John Schwartz. Hi, Hillary. How are you, John? I'm good. You got your headphones back. I did. It was a it was a really really tough couple weeks for me when I lost my Beats headphones, but they're back now, and I'm very thankful. <laughs> uh, so the Yankees are coming back now for their second to last homestand. They just played in City Field, and I wanted to say. Our thoughts are with everybody in Florida and Texas who are dealing with the hurricanes and the Yankees, I know, are putting their best foot forward and and helping out as well. So we're proud to do that and stand with you guys down there. Absolutely. Um, And it was a cool moment to, you know, see the two teams playing across town the way they did. Um, It was surreal in a lot of ways. We got to take a nice little uh, field trip yesterday. The Yankees publications department headed over to City Field. Enjoyed the uh, the afternoon matinee, saw a Yankees win, so that was a good day at the office. I was I, I, I told myself I wouldn't be, and there was a moment when I actually found myself confused by the inning because after the Yankees batted, I was expecting an inning turnover, right. and then I'm like, wait a minute, that was the top of the inning, and uh-huh. you know they were wearing the road crazy, should have figured it out, but I actually was confused for a moment. Me too. In the top of the ninth, I was like, okay, we're almost done. And I was like, oh, wait, no. We have a whole bottom of the inning to get there. Okay. There, there were a lot of things that were kind of bizarre about that game. Just seeing them in that situation, uh, you know, I feel like the, uh, the the stadium music and the sounds of the stadium were really kind of tamped down uh, since, you know, I guess, you know, Tampa didn't have their scoreboard people there or whatever. So it was a, it was a really quiet game com- comparatively. Pleasantly. Yeah, it was nice. It, it was nice, though. They didn't have their scoreboard people, but they did have their scoreboard graphics, which I thought was a nice touch, even though, mm-hmm. you know, there weren't too many people who traveled up from Tampa for the game. It was, like, a little small touch that, you know, it was a raised home game, and it should, they should have had their DJ Kitty and everything like that up there, and I'm glad they did. <laughs> DJ Kitty, I'm down with it. I really liked That's it. That's 100%. Yeah, so it was an interesting experience. It was memorable, for sure. Um, yeah, but so getting back to the magazine that is – currently on newsstands is September issue. We have a couple stories in there that we're going to talk about. Um, the first of which being, uh, I feel a little weird introducing my own story. Would you like me to introduce your story? For <laughs> if, you, if you could introduce my a story. brilliant story by a, little, a fine young writer named Hillary George. A little self-serving to be like, let's talk about what I wrote, guys. <laughs> it's about time someone talked about uh, what you wrote, Hillary. Oh, thanks. Thanks, John. Well, no, it is a great piece. And, you know, CC. You know, coming into this season, we you know we were all kind of curious to see uh, what he was going to do, and I feel like he's really, by and large, just been so solid and you know exceeded a lot of people's expectations. So I think when you pitched the story in our edit meeting when we were planning out the September issue, uh, it was a no-brainer to to really kind of focus the spotlight on on, on you know this veteran leader of our team. Um, so. From that point, you know, what was kind of your first steps towards making this story happen? Well, from the very beginning of the season, I've been really interested to see how guys like CeCe and Brett Gardner, the veterans of the clubhouse, really adjusted to the younger wave in the clubhouse. And then, so I kind of waited to see how things went along throughout the season, how CeCe was doing, what his season was looking like, and like you said, he's been really, really solid, and it's been good to see, especially in the last couple of years, he's struggled with injuries and, and different personal things, and, and this year he's really bounced back, and it has been an anchor in the rotation, so the first thing that I wanted to do was kind of get a, a temperature of the room, which is what I do for most stories. I, I like to talk to as many guys as I can about the guy 
that I'm writing about. And everybody said the same thing. CC Sabathia took me under his wing. CC Sabathia showed me what it was like to be a major leaguer. CC Sabathia was there for me when I first came up. And that really informed my story and, and how I wanted to write it. And it's funny because, you know, I, you, you, that all comes through really clearly in the story and you did a great job writing that. But it's funny to me, Nate, because I actually had a different um, perspective than you did when she brought up the story. And, and this is no knock on CeCe because the interesting thing about him is he has been the anchor and very stable in the rotation, like you guys said. But he's also – you don't usually say that about a guy who – I think he's been on the DL twice this season. You know, there have been constant, like – you know, when there's an iffy start from CC, instead of saying, you know, okay, so CC had an iffy start, you start saying, you know, is it the knee, is it this or that, and you wonder if it's going to be something bigger. So, you know, I'll admit, you know, you pitch a story about CC Sabathia, who I love and who I've done a lot of work with, and I'm really excited to see him having a good season. And my initial reaction is, man, what if something happens? Like, what if something happens in September and he gets, he goes on the shelf for a little while? I think what you did a great job in your story, though, is showing that, like, the impact that he can have, certainly on the mound, but also just, you know, as a rare veteran leader on a very young team, and that that transcends in a lot of ways what he does on the mound. But what he does on the mound this year has been, you don't want to call it bonus, because the team has obviously needed every win it's gotten this year. But I think it has been, if not a surprise, certainly like a, a relief Maybe. For sure. And and I took all of your concerns as well. I, I, just like anybody else, you can get injured any second of any day. Absolutely. And that's just a risk that you take. And so I knew with CeCe, and he did get injured at one point in the process. We're like, oh, well, I'm going to write the story anyway. Um, just because you knew that like this is a guy who's been there and has done it. And like you said, he's winning this season. He matched his 2016 win total by July of this year. What Della Matanzas told me is that he's just pitching in the way that when Andy Pettit got a, a little bit older, he learned how to pitch and really use what he had. You know, I remember Cece as a young young guy throwing 98, 97 with a nasty breaking ball, and now he's just he's he's pitching with what he has, whatever it is that day. Some days it's, he's stronger than others, but he just pitches, which is is this what you need to do here in this level, especially when you get older. He wasn't blowing people away anymore, but like Austin Romine said, he didn't have to blow people away. CC does, doesn't have to blow people away with a 98-mile-per-hour fastball anymore. He can fool people with a changeup or a slider or his 89-mile-per-hour fastball and then change speeds on them. He just knows the game of baseball so well, and that's really helped him. He's a bulldog. I mean, he's going to go after people, and that doesn't ever change. He, he knows how to pitch. He's an intelligent pitcher. He knows what hitters are looking for. It's fun to work with as a catcher because it's a good relationship. It's back and forth. There's a lot of good information going between the guys on how to get people out. And, you know, he just, he just goes out there, and he gives you a chance to win every time he pitches. And another thing that I, I wanted to really touch on in the story as the Yankees are going through their the home stretch here is that Cesar Zabathia is – the most experienced postseason player in that clubhouse. And if and when the Yankees get to the postseason, he's going to be the guy who all the questions are going to be asked of. What is it like to pitch in October? What is it like to take the mound against the best teams in, in October baseball? And so I really wanted to touch on that too. I, I love this stage of CeCe's career in a sense. I think CeCe's great and he's honest and he's a good guy to talk to. But one thing that you know, we spoke, me and you, Hillary, one of my favorite things was during the trade deadline last year when they brought in all the young guys and I kind of was, you know, 
working the room a little bit and trying to get guys takes on it and you know to everyone it's just like oh you know this is so great you know we're bringing in these young guys i can't wait to see them play and cc was just like no i don't want to see these young guys play my friends just got traded and i'm too old for this bs of you know uh rebuilding and so you know i mean he, he didn't mean it in any negative way i don't think anyone would take it that way but it's somewhat gratifying to see that not only was he honest in that moment but that it is paying off and that you know he is right back in the playoff race and played a major role in it and didn't have to just kind of watch as his you know career faded away um during some sort of youth movement that like he wasn't going to pretend to be super excited about being a mentor to these guys and yet he is a mentor to these guys so who knows? Yeah, that rebuild took about five minutes. How would you say he has embraced that role? Because it's, you know, when you're, you've been in the league as long as he has, whether you want to be a leader or not, you're kind of forced into it, you know, when everybody around you is pretty much younger than you. It is thrust upon you. Yeah. For sure. So, I mean, do you see him, you know, embracing that role? Do you think he enjoys taking on, you know, that, that role? I think he, I think he really does. And... John pushed me a little bit. He said that he thinks Cece would be a little annoyed if somebody called him like an old guy or like the uh, the the wily veteran. And I was like, well, maybe, but he wasn't. When I interviewed him, he he really he embraced the role. He was like, I've been there, I've done it. I know that I'm the older guy on the team now, and it's somebody else's turn. I mean, I got a chance to learn from the best. You know, Andy, Mo, G, Sato. Um, guys that I can really call friends and, you know, like big brothers. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, to be able to come here and learn from them and just watch the way they worked, um, it's just a cycle. You know what I mean? And and I feel like, you know, we're close to winning here, and if we can do that, then Dylan will be the guy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So um, it just kind of works all in a cycle, and uh, it's fun to be on the other end of the spectrum now and kind of help guide these young players to hopefully a championship. He said to me, he's like, listen, I've been the ace. I've handled that pressure. If somebody else wants it, it's their turn to have it. Sevi can have it. Masa can have it. He was very willing to, like, give those guys the spotlight that he's enjoyed for 15 years now and say, I'll help them deal with it, but it's theirs and they can have it. So I think he's really embraced it. And and all the guys have said to me, like, he is – He's a leader on the mound. He he just takes the ball and wins. He just wants to win. And in the clubhouse, he keeps it light. He keeps it fresh. He keeps it, you know, open. And ev- and everybody is always happy to talk to him. And he's willing and happy to talk to anybody. He gives out his cell phone number to like all the young guys during spring training. And says, if you need something, call me. When a young guy comes up, he'll take them out and like buy a suit for him. This is a guy who knows what it means to succeed in the big leagues and has had other people do these things for him. And so he's just paying it forward now. And he, he likes to do it and he likes to see other people succeed. And you're right. I mean, I, I did push back a little bit there and, I, and I'll somewhat stand by it that I, whether it's that I'm surprised or that you just did a better job interviewing than I did. I thought that he would have more pushback on, you know, this idea of your job here is to be a mentor when he would say, no, my job here is to be a pitcher who, you know, goes out and wins every fifth day. And for sure um, he thinks that. Yeah. What I love, though, is I'm loving 
this crusty old man era of CC Sabathia. This idea that like you're not allowed to bunt on him or you're, you're yeah. gonna get one, you know, <laughs> in the numbers. Like does not like that. It's stupid, and it is so stupid to suggest that you can't bunt at any time. Like believe me, I'm not, I'm not gonna accept this argument. I don't care if it's a no hitter in the ninth inning. Like if you have a chance to win, you should bunt whenever you want. But I just love like this idea that like CC's like taking on this, you know. Rules of the game nonsense mode right now. He, he's got no time for uh, you know hiding his disdain for the Red Sox Absolutely. either. I feel like he's fanned the flames of the rivalry yes. more than anybody else has in recent years, which I also love to see. And that's fun. That is fun baseball. I'm anytime you get away from the just staid and boring unwritten rules side or whatever. And obviously this is an unwritten rules question, but like you know, forget about you know not showing people up. Like this idea that I'm going to show you up right now because you're not allowed to bunt on me for some reason. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for that. <laughs> you know, I think it's interesting too how it's it's not just the pitchers. Like even you, you spoke to some of the position players, right? Who who talked about you know the way that he's helped them whether it's a new guy coming to the team or a young guy coming up for the first time mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't matter what position you play he, he's kind of there for everybody he does that with all the position players he's ha- he's happy to talk to them about anything and it doesn't and it doesn't have to stay just on the baseball field either a young guy can ask him like hey where can i go in the city or like what do i do about like this personal problem and cc's happy to help with that too and cc i mean look you know the elephant in the room obviously cc has had his own you know, personal demons that kind of came out into the fore more than he wanted to, certainly at a bad time for him. And I think he's pretty open about that, just this idea that, like, you know, this is family first here, and you take care of what you need to take care of away from here. And that means being the mentor to people, even if, you know, he might prefer to be the pitcher, he's going to be the mentor, and he's going to give out a cell phone and say, like, hey, man, I've been there. Like, give me a call. And I think that's a hugely important role for anyone to play, but certainly a guy who's kind of been there to be able to play that role. Yes, yeah, CC said it himself in, in the interview I did with him. He said, if your life is okay off the field, it's going to be better on the field. If your life is not going well off the field, you're going to feel it when you're playing. So he makes it a point to make sure that if he can help off the field, he does. And I think all the guys in the room appreciate that. It's a really good story. You did a fantastic job of it. I think that CeCe's been around this team for a while. You have a 25-man roster. Eventually, it gets hard to kind of tell new stories about a lot of these guys who have been here a long time. But I really, I think that, you know, these 3,000 words or whatever are a really fresh look at CeCe. And I think that uh, it's definitely worth reading. Yeah. I mean, these guys are, uh, they'd be crazy not to pick his brain. I mean, 17 years in the big leagues, he's seen it all and been through it all, you know, postseason and everything so uh and i mean you look at where he is now i mean what is he just about third on the all-time strikeouts list among left-handers i mean it's pretty incredible the the career that he's forged so uh whether it's on-field stuff or off-field stuff i mean he's what a what a valuable resource for for anybody on the team to have hall of fame yeah or nay um you know a couple years ago i i wrote a story about him where I said I kind of thought he was destined for Cooperstown. I don't know. I think it's really close. I mean, it, it also depends on, you know, what, what he does from here on out. You know, how much longer does he pitch? How much further up some of these lists does he move? I don't know. I don't know. It's, that's a hard one. I think he has. I think he had a couple of years where he was clearly the best pitcher in the league. He obviously is with Cy Young. He, I mean, 
the things he did in Milwaukee for that half season were mm-hmm. remarkable. Comes here, wins a World Series right away. I think, I think those like soft factors are going to play in a lot. But also, I mean, you mentioned his numbers among left-handed pitchers, all these things. Um, I think I, I don't think he's first ballot. I think he waits a little bit, but I think he gets it. Oh, I think so I too. So. I think, like you said, not a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I think his numbers and his intangibles kind of suggest he's got that caliber. So. But hopefully that's a long way off. I think he still wants to play. He's still doing well. So let's see what happens. All right. Coming up on the podcast, I have an interview I did with Clinton Thomas, who is one of our grounds crew members. And he actually choreographed the YMCA dance that goes on at Yankee Stadium. So stick around for that. Plus, we'll talk a little bit about Nathan's story about Clint Frazier. So stick around. If you've ever come to a game at Yankee Stadium, you've seen the dedicated members of the grounds crew take part in a fan-favorite tradition, the YMCA dance. Clinton Thomas is the man behind the choreography, and he's been a member of the Yankee Stadium grounds crew for nearly 30 years. Recently, I sat with Clinton in the stands while the grounds crew readied the field for play, and we chatted all about his career with the Yankees and everything he loves about New York. Here's some of our conversation. August 18th, 1989. And when I first started out, I was uh, I was working on the field with Danny Cunningham for about maybe a year. And then after that, I started working in the uh, the maintenance part of the grounds crew mm-hmm. you know, within the building, doing cleaning the buildings, stuff like that, bathrooms and so forth. Actually, I'm still doing that. You choreographed the YMCA dance, is that true? Well, we didn't um, started it because it started in Tampa, uh-huh. and um, every time it, at that time I was dragging, mm-hmm. I was one of the five draggers, and um, Debbie Timon, she brought it to us and she wanted us to do it. I was the sole holdout at first. I didn't <laughs> want to do it. Really? Why not? I don't know. It's, it's like you know when you work it, especially when you're working out here, and then they throw something else at you. <laughs> I was just ready to give that up. Then they talked me into it. So one of the other workers, we didn't like the way that, you know, that we was doing it. Mm-hmm. So we said, you know, let's put a little more pizzazz into it, you know. So we we started, like right now when you watch, you watch the YMCA, we first go out, everybody's pumping the fist. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point in the song, which only we know, <laughs> if, you, if you're not watching, we know, everybody spins at the same time. Right. But back then... The first person would spin, be more or less like, you know, you spin, I spin, uh-huh. you spin, you know, and I was the last guy I would spin. Then we would continue pumping. So we added that into it. Then we kept pumping, that pumping. And then pretty much when we got to the point where we had to drop the drags to actually do the, do the dance, you know, instead of spinning, the first guy, which they still do today, but they don't do it hard enough, we would just <laughs> throw the rope down, you know, boom, 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 boom. So I says, okay, it's five of us, it's five beats, just throw it down hard as you can. And we did that. We don't do that now. But the dance back then, it looked more, more manly. Looked, you know, I hate to say it like that, but yeah. it looked, it was just more fun. Because the fans was waiting for that, for that moment, you right. know. And with Derek Jeter, he was one of my biggest problems because he would, 
Once I, whenever I get past him, I was the last guy going around. Mm -hmm. Whenever I got past him, he would step. He step on the back of my drag. Really? You know, and that would just like throw me out, mess <laughs> me up, so I had to catch her. I just looks at him, you know. And he just kept doing that, doing that every game. But and I've been doing that from 1996, opening day. Mm -hmm. I did it for about 12 years, and then I stopped. Mm -hmm. and some of the younger guys started doing it. Now I'm doing it again. Do you have fun? Well, it's work, you know. <laughs> it's work. It's just very easy to do, mm -hmm. you know, for me anyway. But it's fun. It's a, it's a fun job. It's mm -hmm. a good job. What's been some of your favorite times here at the stadium? What are some of the most exciting things you've seen or been a part of? The World Series. Yeah. Seven. Let's see. I worked seven World Series. One five. Uh -huh. uh, and when I first got here... All I wanted to see, all I wanted to be a part of was, I wasn't here, you know, to be a part of the playoffs mm -hmm. and the World Series. And I got more than I bargained for. What did you, uh, what did you like to do back in the day? Have hobbies? Play basketball. Really? You're yeah, a basketball guy? basketball player. What, where did you play? Uh, I played a little in high school, mm -hmm. you know, but I learned, I, right, I lived not far from here. Okay. I learned how to play in the Rucker Park. That's a very famous park. Yeah. So everybody's always... You know, they, they get tours like just like over here, tourists come by and play. I had watch uh, Julius Irving, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, all those guys play basketball in that park. So as a kid, I would run out on the weekend. They mm -hmm. played back then. They played on the weekends only, Saturday mm -hmm. and Sunday. For a two o'clock game, me and my friends was in the park like ten, eleven o'clock. Get your seats, you know. It was exciting. And those guys would be out there. They would come out and they would play. A lot, of, a lot of NBA players was out there. Some that did that wasn't in the NBA that made it mm -hmm. and became superstars. Yep. Did you have a good game? Did I have a good game? Yeah. Oh, I should I shouldn't have been here. <laughs> I should have been here. But you know things. It was you know I don't want to say that I, I honestly believe that I could have been a former NBA player. Mm -hmm. You know, with the guys I grew up with, you know. Like, one of my friends I grew up with, Alfred Butcher, he actually played for the Lakers yep. and got a uh, World Series ring. And wow. he lived right across the street from me. <laughs> you know, and back then a lot of those guys, like, I don't want to brag on myself, but they couldn't hang with me. <laughs> they couldn't hang with me. I believe it. And it's like now it was so much for uh, 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 you know, young children to do back then, you know, street games, all kinds of stuff. But we would leave from... Basketball, play softball, stickball, stuff like that, and yeah, two-hand touch football. Mm -hmm. These days, you don't have that. Yeah. You don't have that anymore. So it's, it's not too much for you know, especially young black kids. Not too much for, for for them to do, but come out, stand around the corner. And now the times is changing again. You know, a lot of them are leaving the corners, but they're going to those that doesn't work. You'd be surprised the age of some people that just go to video games. But other than that, I don't, I don't have any regrets. You know, the way I grew up. You know, I grew up with a lot of nice people, good friends. I have one more year left here at the stadium. Mm -hmm. And then what? Yeah. And then what? Whatever I wanted. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I would sit there and tell you that, like I said before, my life is very simple, and I don't know what everyone else thinks about retirement. But you just don't. You, you're not going to do the things that you used to do. You know, you, you just can't. You know, you do a few things in the first year, I believe, 
then you're right back to your very simple, normal life. Mm-hmm. You know, like I say, I'm married. My wife is retired already. You know, and you know, that's it. I'm not leaving New York City. Yeah, I'm staying in New York. Everyone says, "Oh, but it's so expensive." I say, it's only expensive as you make it. Right. You know. You can find a way to do it. Oh, I did it for 55 years, so you know. That's. I I love New York. I'm a new. I'm a new. I'm actually a New Yorker. So. What do you love most about the people? There's just so much to do here. There's so much to do here, and I and I never did believe in moving somewhere. See, I don't, I'm not a traditional guy. I don't, I don't follow traditions. You know that it's, it's not written that you have to move when you retire. You know, you have to travel, travel, travel. Those things I believe you should do while you're working <laughs> and you're young. Yeah. You know, so it's like I don't. I just don't believe in moving somewhere at a certain age in your life, you know, by yourself. I still think about the way that, you know, like basically like how I grew up and there was times when there was nothing and at times actually got better. So I feel like I'm very rich right now you know, for where I came from. And you never know when you're going to need that loaf of bread and you don't have the money to get it. I'm looking forward to retirement. I, I think it's a piece of cake to me. <laughs> I don't know what no one else thinks, but I'm prepared for it. What are you going to miss most? This place, I'm not too far from here right now, That's true. but I'm going to miss this place and the people that I've met here. Like I say, the people I've met here is wonderful. I've met a lot of good people here, mm-hmm. a very lot of good people here, you know, and it's like, I'm going to miss them. Nate, talk to us about Red Thunder. What's his nickname now? <laughs> John, might, you might know what is DD? What is DD put for Clint Frazier? Well, there's like six of them. That's true for Frazier. But I was actually talking to uh, when I was doing the DD story. I was talking to the Yankee social media people who said that it was actually a little bit of work to get him to buy into the Red Thunder thing. Yeah, and it came to head during the players' weekend when he agreed to put Red Thunder um, <laughs> as the nickname on his back. Um, you know, there's like questions of you know, obviously when a brand kind of takes off. You either embrace it or fight it. And I think you finally realize, like, you know what? I'm going to embrace this thing. As he should. As a fellow ginger myself, I think it is important to really embrace your your red thunder hair. Clint he, is, he is, like, big among the the red-haired Yankees fans. If you're a red-haired <laughs> Yankees fan, you got to love Clint He's Frazier. huge for the redheads. <laughs> he has that demographic down, I yeah. think. But, I mean, all Yankees fans, I mean, uh, the majority that I've talked to just love watching this guy play. I mean, from the moment he stepped on the field, he just kind of, your eyes gravitate toward him just, you know, through his hustle and, and the way he plays. So uh, when, you know, we sat down to talk about the September issue, wanted to do a story on Clint Frazier. And I guess what I was most interested in was whether the public perception of him really aligned with who he really is. From the time of the trade at the 2016 trade deadline through the beginning of this season, the things that you heard from him uh, or about him uh, raised some some red flags maybe in the eyes of some, but I had never really, you know, spoken to him much. Uh, I wanted to, you know, just kind of get to know him a little bit, uh, learn about his background and where he's from and his family. And what I came away with was Wow. 
I mean, incredibly impressive, mature sounding young man uh, for, for, he's 22 years old. And uh, <laughs> the first time we sat down at length was the day of the trade deadline this year. And like, wow, what a, what a difference a year makes. Just the difference in the feeling from a year ago when, you know, he went to bed thinking he was fine and then woke up to the news that he had been traded by the Indians, um, which was really kind of unsettling for a young ball player. You know, he's 21 at the time, had come up through the Indians organization, thought he was on the right track, had just been promoted to AAA like about a week earlier to really just have the rug swept out from underneath you and uh, get sent to a franchise that is, you know, has quite a different culture than, than most, than any, really. It was hard. You know, there was a, there's no question that there was an adjustment period for him. And the way he described it to me was, you know, he just kind of lost sight of, of who he was for a little bit. But really just in all regards, uh, I, I came away really uh, with a good feeling about, you know, this this guy has a, a really good head on his shoulders. He's a guy who Yankees fans, I think, are excited about and for good reason. It does seem really hard. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the culture change. And, you know, you, we can argue whether maybe some of this stuff is a little outdated that the Yankees do or, or not, or maybe what, what the virtues are of it, obviously. But, I mean, if you look at, you know, the, the key piece in that trade going the other way was Andrew Miller. And you look at him, you know, obviously he reached the World Series with the Indians and got this bushy beard and everything like that. I mean, it was like literally two, like, you know, like a seesaw going up and down um, of, you know, the way these guys had to shift. And you could see why he was a guy who, and this isn't a negative, like he had a flashy look. Um, Clint Frazier. Clint Frazier was a guy who had a flashy look. Yeah, you can't miss him when he's on the field. (laughs) Andrew Miller had a hobo look. Um, (laughs) But, you know, so, okay, you know, you've kind of built this persona and you've kind of built this, you know, style of play and then you get traded and obviously, you know, cool, you're traded to the Yankees. That's a, that's a good thing. But like, wait a minute, you're saying I have to change everything about myself in Mm -hmm. order to play baseball here? Like, yeah, that seems like it'll be pretty rough. It is, you know, and it's, it's, you have to find that, that balance because you don't want to, it's a good thing to have a personality, you know, fans gravitate towards guys with personalities, but you got to walk that fine line, you know, what's, What's over the line? What's too much? And uh, he came to spring training and his hair was a little long and it became a topic of conversation. And, and it wasn't a big deal. You know, he wasn't going out there saying, like, this is how I wear my hair and this is how I do things. And, you know, you're going to have to deal. We have another guy uh, coming up in our next month's issue who came to town saying that he was the straw who stirs the drink. Like, this was not that. No, <laughs> not at all. And And... You know, Joe Girardi even said during spring training, he kind of tried to downplay it and say, you know, he said there's a lot of guys in that clubhouse who wish they had Clint Frazier's hair. But in spring training, being around veteran Yankees, guys like Chase Headley and uh, Matt Holliday, Clint kind of looked around and said, okay, you know. I'm supposed to fall in line. Yeah, and, and not only I'm supposed to do it, but maybe it's not such a bad thing either. You know, look at the careers that these guys have had. Look at the success that the Yankees have had as a franchise. Like, And then beginning to realize, if I go out there and play my game and help the Yankees win ball games, everything else is going to take care of itself. He's going to be embraced by fans, by teammates. So, yeah, he cut his hair a little bit. And 
I remember the moment I realized that he was being graded on this very weird curve. Uh, I apologize for the maybe slight diversion here. It was uh, last year during the Arizona Fall League. I'm in a press box in Arizona, and a lot of the guys working in the press box in the Arizona Fall League are, you know, old, old, old retired newspaper guys. And I'm sitting behind these guys as, you know, they're kind of talking about Glaber Torres, who was there, and how good a deal that was for the Yankees. And Glaber Torres, as we've discussed here, is like world's most put-together person, um, world's most professional, fall-in-line type person. Person. And one of these old guys, you know, was talking about nothing like that Clint Frazier guy, you know, and he was here a couple of years ago, or maybe it was last year. Um, you know, I don't think I don't think that deal is going to pay off. And I'm sitting there in my head and I'm thinking, you know, you traded a reliever for a potential like cornerstone outfielder. Like, I'm interested in hearing a little more about how you think like this isn't going to pay off. And he, he just starts going to like, you know, I, I don't know. I saw him hit and, I, you know, what, what's his upside, like a 30 home run guy. And I'm just like. Yeah, like, that would be great. Yeah. That's what terrific. You, like yes. that sounds that sounds fantastic. Tell me more. Like, and, and I'm just I'm sitting there, and I, and I wasn't having. This was a conversation I was overhearing between two other people, but it was like just in my head. And this is still like October of last year. So this is before the spring training stuff. Um, this is before you know really any of the hair stuff had become a thing. He came to town. First off, remember he came to town and Instagram post that day of a pretty significant haircut. Um, so it's not like it was a new thing. But I, I'm just sitting there listening to this conversation, and I'm just like this guy's never going to get a totally fair shake, it seems. Like, this guy's always, maybe it's just the color of his hair. Well, that's the thing, too. You wonder, you know, if he had brown hair, would this even be as big a a deal as it became? I'm just like, I mean, Andrew Miller's a great pitcher, and I loved having him around. I think fans loved having him around. I'm sure the Indians love having him around right now, but I'm pretty sure you trade a reliever for a 30-home run guy 100 times out of 100. Like, a, a young 30 home run guy right who's you know 22 and just like I'm, I'm listening to this and just like no it sounds like you're describing a great player like what what in the world are we saying here and also like if i may i don't think he has to fall in line completely like mm. they're not all everybody in that yankees clubhouse especially these days is not just a cookie cutter like straight up and down baseball player look at a guy like Didi gregorius who is showing his personality at every turn I think that's a, a that's definitely a route that Clint Fraser can take. You don't all have to be the same. You don't all have to do exactly the same thing and say exactly the same thing. You can have a personality and still be successful. And I think that he had to learn that too. He didn't have to just be like, this is me now and I can only do this one thing and say this one thing and look this one way. I think he is learning just as everybody else learns. You can be your own guy. The Yankees yeah. just want you to rein it in just a tiny bit. And I, I think what I really discovered about him is that when things, you know, didn't go well, it was because he was getting away from who he is. Yeah. If he's himself, he's going to do just fine. He really is an impressive young guy, like I said. I mean, he was the National High School Baseball Player of the Year as a senior in high school. And so, you know, when you win an award like that, media comes and does all kinds of stories and interviews with you. And going back and listening to him speak as a high schooler, he was impressive. So it's easy for the media to pick up on things and, and make bigger stories out of things than than really they are. And with him, you know, he just became a little bit of a lightning rod for that because of, you know, who he was as far as high draft pick. He was picked fifth overall, I think, that year. And coming over in a trade for Andrew Miller, who was an all-star, there was a lot of attention on him. And, you know, he struggled with the adjustment. But I think this year he probably learned a few things about himself, including if I just go out there and be myself and play my game, things are going to be just fine. And here's the other thing, and I can defend him 
having the long hair and you know being flashy all I want. At the end of the day, one thing that's great about your story is he's pretty critical of some of the things that he was doing too. Not just the length of his hair, but he's really talking about losing focus and you know getting a little too caught up in some of these things. You know, this isn't just all exterior criticism coming his way per- perhaps unfairly. I mean, he's looking at who he was and saying, "You know what? Like maybe I do need to get in line in certain different ways, not just you know, because this is what the team expects of me, but maybe it's what I expect of myself that I need to be doing certain things a little better. I thought he was very honest in the piece about a lot of this stuff and not, I would have guessed, partly because of how I've expressed how I feel about a lot of this stuff, I would have guessed he might be more defensive about a lot of it, but it seems he was actually pretty open about just, yeah, that's the way it is and I need to be better about this. Yeah, and you know, that's where being Yankees Magazine is helpful. You know, when... We interview players and ask for their time. It's different than some other media outlet, perhaps. They feel, you know, I think there's a level of comfort there. Safety. Yeah, but still revealing and, like you said, honest. And so I think, you know, readers who who pick this story up, I I think they're going to get a real insight into who Clint Frazier really is via his phone a little bit. <laughs> if you want to know what's in Clint Fraser's phone, what is it? what's up, he listening to? Pick up the September issue of Yankees Magazine. So here's the thing. I mean, Nate, you're, you're the music guy among us. Um, I know that it might not be exactly your music taste that Fraser uh, <laughs> no. has, but I loved the way you incorporated all of his musical interests into the way you told the story. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, well, you know what? These things mean something to him. He's not just picking stuff at random. You know, his walk-up music is not a traditional, you know, like hip-hop song or something that most guys would pick. Or Sinatra, as Todd Frazier. Yeah. You know, it's a country song that Brad Paisley recorded like more than a decade ago, but it has a lot of deep personal meaning to him. And there's a lot of stuff like that in here. You know, the the things that he does and, and listens to and the things that are important to him have a lot of meaning. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's an interesting guy. He's, you know, a, a a thoughtful guy and you know as with any of my stories that I write in here you know I, I hope to give fans even more of a reason to root for a guy like this and I, I think they will after reading this story Nate I really love the story and I think you did a great job question for both of you what would your walk-up song be Nate oh, I would well I'd probably be a pitcher so I'd be coming in um, I'd probably be like a, a lefty one-out guy um, so I'd probably come in from the bullpen to um, When the Levy Breaks by Led Zeppelin. Nice, nice. John, what about Top, you? Top Gun theme. Come on. <laughs> I honestly, there was a time in my life when I wanted the Top Gun theme playing anytime I entered a room. So if I'm coming out of the bullpen, the Top Gun theme is playing. Mm-hmm. How about you, Hillary? I think you guys are expecting me to say a Taylor Swift song. <laughs> and, but which one? And I, I hope you're not going to disappoint us. <laughs> I, I thought a lot about it. And it is either a Taylor Swift song, I Knew You Were Trouble, or Smooth Criminal by oh, yeah. Michael Jackson. So not look what you made me do. Not not look what you made me do, which I do not like. I'm gonna <laughs> cut that out because if Taylor hears this, I still want to be friends with her. <laughs> if you're listening, Taylor, we want you on the pod. Yeah, and the levy breaks. That's a fantastic call. Why doesn't anyone else use? Although I guess if you're a closer, you don't want the levy to break necessarily. <laughs> All right, maybe maybe there's some holes in your plan here. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Uh, So that's the September issue, which is on sale now. We'll be on sale for the rest of the month. And then we have one more issue coming up this year for the regular season, the October issue. Yeah. Nate, if you want to explain a little bit about how that works. Yeah, we're uh, we're knee deep in production of the October issue right now. I'm in in way deeper than my knees. I don't know about you guys. (laughs) 
So uh, it's stuff to this issue. Yeah, if you're a, a Yankees magazine subscriber, you could expect to see the October issue probably around the you know first week or so of October. If we host the wild card game here. Uh, it'll be on sale at Yankee Stadium then, and also if we're fortunate enough to advance to the American League Division Series, the October issue would also serve as the game day program for that series. Uh, so hopefully, it'll be on sale. Uh, All month long, a few games in October. We'll see. Uh, yes, I'm very excited about it. So look for that. Obviously, pick up the September issue when you're here at Yankee Stadium, which, like I said, is still on sale. Check us out on Twitter. We're at Yanks Magazine. And email us, podcast at yankees.com. We want to hear from you. We want what? What's your walk-up song? Everybody tweeted us. I think, obviously, there's going to be a lot of Taylor Swift in the mix. <laughs> and I support that. Um, cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks Thank for joining you. us. I assume the outro music we're going to go with is the Top Gun theme right now? I I would say probably. Go with Smooth Criminal. It's probably pretty cheap to license yeah. Michael Jackson's I songs, right? I don't think it would be a problem. <laughs> Bye, guys. Am I allowed to do this? I think so.